From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with music director of the Omaha Symphony, maestro Ankush Kumar Behel, and VP of Artistic Administration and Section Bassist, Danny Meyer. We're talking about the power of live music, the relevance of classic and new works, and what you can expect at the symphony this year. When you have 1,000, 2,000 people, 5,000 people in a larger venue experiencing music in the same way, it's a completely transforming experience. Best part about the live concert experience is that it's a human concert experience, and it will never be that way ever again. The way you get to hear it in that moment, it will never happen exactly that way again. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Music is everywhere. It's hard to imagine that there was a point when you couldn't constantly listen to music, a time before recordings of music even existed. But there's something in our brains that just can't resist rhythm and harmony and the way that music makes us feel. Today I'm talking with director of the Omaha Symphony, maestro Ankush Kumar Bahel, and VP of Artistic Administration and Section Bassist Danny Meyer about the power of music and what you can expect at the Omaha Symphony, including a world premiere from Grammy-nominated composer Andy Akiho on March 17th and 18th, honoring Omaha's world-renowned visual artist, June Kaneko. Here is our conversation. We were just talking about how long this interview should be, and um, so when you're asking me how long your answers should be based on how long the show is, I thought that's that's such a conductor type of question and concern, <laughs> right? You're timing yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> it's all about uh, efficiency and making sure I get everything done, and I will, as Danny knows, I will fill space if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as uh, conductors in our popular culture, I feel like there aren't maybe that many depictions, but there was a very popular one this year, the movie Tar. Did you guys see that? Uh, I am. I am not seen it yet. I don't know if popular is is quite the right. It's certainly thought provoking, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> I have not seen it either, and that's probably a little shame to say that. Um, of course, I've heard some of the feedback, and by and large, it's great feedback. So it's always wonderful to have. You know, every four or five years, there's a movie like Shine or Jacqueline Dupre or, you know. Amadeus and Mozart uh, or like Mimoto Beloved of Beethoven that something gets in the popular culture the classical music seeps in and I think it's it's great that there's another one and that is the fact that it's a female conductor centric is fantastic. Well, an interesting detail in that movie is that Kate Blanchett's character she is a conductor and she's very picky about what type of music she will have playing in her home when she's done with work and I, I wondered how realistic that detail is because she picks these very simple sort of rhythms. They're never that complicated. They never get anywhere near kind of an orchestral sort of sound. And I wondered, as I'm watching the movie, is that because it would sort of, her brain would be thinking too much about something that's complicated and orchestral, and it would get her away from relaxing and make her start to think in a work sort of uh, mind space. So I wonder for, for both of you when, you, when you go home, do you continue to listen to music that's similar to what you work on uh, for your job? Or is it is it too much of mixing work and home to do that? Yeah, so I think that's an interesting way to, a way interesting choice to way to wind down from your workday. So I think in that sense, it makes a lot of sense um, to not challenge your brain if you've been challenged or you know working hard 
processing and, and learning and uh, and uh, rehearsing music. Um, that's complex. So that actually makes sense. In my household, I'm one of four people, three of which, I, and I'm fourth on the totem pole, so I don't have a lot of um, say in what we hear at the house. So I'm kind of teasing. I have twin boys that are nine, and my wife, um, everyone plays piano and, and likes classical music, but I definitely don't bring work home in that sense. So we just listen to whatever's on the radio the weekend. We listen to Top 40. I might throw something more more I, similar to what you're talking about, something a little bit lighter, classical, or like a single instrument, like a piano or a cello, box suite or something like that, just to have a nice ambiance, but something I don't have to like think too deeply about and analyze as it's going on. I would agree with that. I have really gravitated towards minimalist music, especially even when I'm working, uh, working versus not working, because I feel like that allows me to focus in a way that doesn't take away from the task actually at hand. Um, but that said, by the time I go home, I like separating my brain entirely. So it might be a podcast or I might just enjoy listening to my husband practice because um, he plays trombone. So there's really no way to escape <laughs> to escape that sound of the rest of the house. So it, in that way, it might be very simple also. So not like full Mahler symphonies, unless he's playing along with the Mahler symphony, in which case I'm listening to that Mahler symphony as well. Well, yeah, our, our culture is just so uh, – it's music heavy and everybody's got music all the time. And it, it's almost difficult for me to picture a time when you couldn't listen to all music at all times. Uh, but, but there's just something in our brains that does seem to crave – sounds that have rhythms or harmony or whatever it is that gets us to feel what we feel when we listen to the music that we like, almost to the point that we don't even notice how much music there is. But it makes me think about just why do you think we are so attracted to music? What is the appeal of music that we want it and need it sort of everywhere all the time? I mean, I think that, and especially having children now, if you watch any child walk by a busker, a violinist, someone in the subway um, or metro playing an instrument they always stop they always are completely fascinated by it and just something happens along the way where we decide that other things are more important or um, would consume our time more but from a very early age every human being is programmed to really enjoy um, that sound um, and also the movement of course you know the, the earliest forms of music came accompanying dance nearly earliest I don't want to miss tell the timeline of of music and certainly classical music, but certainly the, the earlier classical music was all dance related. It was a lot of dance related. And of course, ballets are accompanied by music. So the, I think the movement and just the sonic quality that's different than human voice um, is always going to be gravit. People are always going to gravitate towards that. And like I said, at some point we lose, it loses favor or it loses a hierarchy in our, in the way we spend time, some of us. And I think that's, that's, that's the tragedy um, as we get older, in my opinion. And one of the, goals of the Omaha Symphony um, is to make sure that people keep music in their lives in some capacity to reach as many people in the Omaha area as possible. Um, so that's just one of our side goals. But um, I think that's what it is. I think we just prioritize things later in life. But at the beginning, it's it's an instant connection. I would also argue that we are, we, we should be more aware of how much music has invaded all of our space all the time. There's not a TV show, there's not a movie, there's not an anything, I think, that doesn't have an emotional shape because there's some sort of soundtrack to it. You know, like the the, the finale of The Good Place, for example, <laughs> uses Arvo Pert 
and that is a purely classical piece of music and it's absolutely devastating it was not written for that show that it just exists on it on its own but without it that moment would not be nearly as powerful and there's so many examples of that that we don't even think of until I don't know about you when I, when I scroll through Instagram I have my sound off and I'm watching little video clips and it doesn't hit me nearly as hard until I turn that sound back on um uh Meister and I were talking before our John Williams concert back in January, just how people might not even realize how much they love music and even orchestral music, but they love the movies. And someone like John Williams is, is possibly responsible for why they love movie music, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just funny, Danny was saying, yes, this, the music matters. There's, there's a whole website or Instagram something um, where people are putting up clips of movies, scenes, or um, you know, even the Rihanna halftime show where they changed the music from what she was actually singing to like the Muppets. <laughs> and so like the music matters, like it, it influences what you're watching and how you feel about what you're watching. Like, and, and I, that's just a great point with Danny mentioned about the John Williams concert that we did. You know, you may not feel it. You may not be able to hum it when you leave the, the movie theater, but like you're experiencing it and it's adding so much to your experience that it's, it's, it's just a, it's a different art form. Uh, movies are a different art form without those soundtrack. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Maestro Ankush Kumar Bahel, director of the Omaha Symphony and VP of Artistic Administration and Section Bassist Danny Meyer about the upcoming world premiere from Grammy-nominated composer Andy Akiho on March 17th and 18th, honoring June Kaneko. Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. The sound and music is often supplemental, whether somebody's watching a movie or show or just I think when you're like driving and you turn on Spotify or the radio, whereas the symphony is making it the focus. It's not a supplement. And mm -hmm. I think that your attention and what you appreciate is probably different uh, when what you are focusing on is entirely the music as opposed to letting the music add to whatever kind of story maybe your uh, just like daily routine that you're sort of on. And so uh, I, I imagine uh, you think that there's something special as, as people who work in this business. What is it about having your undivided focus on music that's different or what can you get out of that 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 maybe you can't get if it's part of the soundtrack in a movie or something like that? First of all, the fact that, that Maestro and I get to be on stage for this, you should know when you come to see a concert that every time we've put, we've put a program together, the musicians on stage are actually experiencing this differently than you are going to hear it. So where I sit on stage back in the bay section is going to sound slightly different. It's going to be a slightly different experience than where Maestro is on the podium, than where the back of the first violins are, where, where principal bassoon is, where my husband in the trombone section is, right? Every one of us has a different audio and physical experience of this moment. But at some point, we heard that piece as a whole, as the way you will hear it in the audience. And there's, some, there's an incredible joy on our side of things, being on stage, playing it, knowing that even if we don't get to hear it that way in the moment, you're going to get to hear it the way it's supposed to be, right? And so when I get to go be an audience member, when I get to go hear a different orchestra play, I think the thing I enjoy most is just having a moment to sit and actually enjoy 
what I know is the fruit of possibly 40 to 90 people's efforts coming together, hearing it all in that different way, knowing and trusting that the process is going to make it sound the way it should, it's going to have the impact it should, and just being still and getting a chance to experience that. I love the opportunity to be still. I never get it. A lot of us never get it. That's mm -hmm. why That's why I love what we do. Maestro? Yeah, I'll take an. I totally agree with everything you're saying. But I'll take another um, another stab at explaining why it's a unique experience to come. To, well, there's many reasons why it's a unique experience to come listen to live music at the Omaha Symphony or anywhere. But you triggered some triggers the wrong word. But you mentioned something earlier on, and um, I was thinking about the fact that we have Spotify and less ubiquitous amounts of music and YouTube, whatever. And it's just streaming. It's like you're, 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 you're consuming music in the background. You're also consuming it from a garden hose, like trying to drink from it. Like it's on full blast. And you don't, when you, when your algorithm is trying to like pick great music for you, it's hit and miss. Um, you know, when we were growing up, we had albums of course, and we had cassette tapes and, CDs, and so you were curated that experience by the band you liked. Um, maybe you'd buy the first Coldplay album or a U2 album that you didn't really know, and you sit in your car or sit at home with your CD player and listen to it from the beginning to the end. And that's a curated experience. They know that the that track number three has to hit a certain way, and the opening has to hit a certain way for them for you to want to keep listening. And so, when you go to a concert that's an hour, two hours, ninety minutes, whatever, I think we're doing that for you as well. We're curating that experience for you. We're getting you. Um, to just really, like Danny said, be still, but also we've gone through all the Spotify playlists. When we're programming, we take a year to program a year of concerts. So we're always a year ahead. And so we're listening to all the greatest pieces by these composers that we want to perform. We're listening to all these great pianists and violin solos that we want to present in Omaha. So we've curated this Spotify list for you and you don't have to do the work. And I'm not saying you're going to just fall in love with every measure of music you hear in the Omaha Symphony, but it has been vetted. It's been vetted by a highly qualified and uh, experienced team that really is trying to deliver you a, a beautiful evening um, in, in the concert hall. So I think it's another way to think about why it's, that's important. It's like the ultimate trust fall exercise, right? <laughs> because we also know on jumping on that band, on that, that album um, uh, analogy, you know you like the Foo Fighters, you know you like Coldplay, you know you like you know Billie Eilish. Uh, you're going to trust those artists to give you an album that you're probably going to love front to back, right? When you go to a concert that they put on, you know what you're getting. And with orchestras, there's such a huge, vast amount of repertoire for us to pick from that you may not see the same composer. You might see somebody once and never see that name again. And yet you have to trust that we've, like Maestro said, have have listened and thought very carefully about what goes with what and why, and why it's important for you to experience that together. And the fact that it's us, that it's the Omaha Symphony doing it, we're your, we're your band, you mm -hmm. know? I think uh, this, is, this is a good place to focus then on your event on March 17th and 18th, where there will be the world premiere of a new composition from Andy Akiho, which honors the life and work of Omaha's June Kaneko. So tell me a little bit about how did this come to be? You know, like all things wonderful, um, ideas come with a, a nice dinner and possibly a little bit of wine will accompany that <laughs> dinner. Um, most good ideas, um, sometimes bad ideas. Uh, but we were having dinner with some a prominent um, member of the community, Susan Morris, and some other 
uh, wonderful people in the Omaha area. And Sue mentioned to us that June Kaneko was receiving um, the International Sculptor Center's Lifetime Achievement Award in 2021. Um, and that we should think about a way to honor him in some capacity. And so that really started the ball rolling of how that could be and what, what's, what's appropriate and how can we combine our art form, classical music, um, with what June's art form is, which is in a vast array of different disciplines of visual art. So that just started, like I said, it started the ball rolling and all of a sudden we really identified that this is probably a wonderful opportunity to celebrate him at the gala and honor him at our gala, which we have an honoree every year. Um, but more importantly, it's an opportunity to really explore um, and connect June's work to classical music because he actually already had been involved in classical music. Um, he had basically designed nuts to bolts three full opera productions at, at three major opera houses in the states and he so he did the costumes the makeup the, the set design you know all sorts of the visual element of three fully staged operas the madame butterfly by puccini um magic flute by mozart and fidelio by beethoven so at this event you're going to see this this concert experience you're going to hear the music uh, that he spent so much time learning and listening to before he uh, embarked on the staging and the set design for these three operas, music from those three operas with fantastic soloists and some really key elements of his set designs that we're importing from across the country to, to play for you, to show you visually uh, how stunning it is uh, in the concert hall. And marrying that with what we felt was the most appropriate way to really interesting well an interesting way um a proven way i would say to honor his work was by composing a piece for him um and it's been done before there's a famous piece by modest mazorsky that examines wonderful russian art called pictures at an exhibition uh our first season together as me as music director we featured a piece by adam schoenberg called picture studies where he went to the prominent museum in kansas city picked several art forms and wrote pieces music music about those pieces and so we thought, why don't we get someone um, who I felt would have an affinity for June's work um, and who might be able to capture June's work in an orchestral piece. And maybe Danny can talk about that, how we landed on uh, our composer and um, how that process has been going as well. Absolutely. So we we discussed a, a number of, of composers and because we had learned that June and Rhee really uh, like Maestro said, for the operas, he had spent hundreds of hours listening to the scores over and over and over. So we gave him the opportunity to do the same. We made him mixtapes, <laughs> much like we curated the concerts. We made them uh, mix CDs of all these composers and we had him listen. And then he he met um, a few of them when they were here in Omaha. And he and Re ultimately decided that Andy was their person. Um, which has turned into something that I don't think any of us could have foreseen. It's they, they treat each other like family. Um, Andy has spent a significant amount of time in Omaha now since we commissioned him to write this piece. And the reason why, or one of the reasons why this piece is going to be so exceptional is, um, you know, we, we grew up being told, please don't touch the very nice art. <laughs> and uh, Andy had reached a place early on with June and Rhee where as he spent time with them and he looked at June's pieces, they actually encouraged him to start 
trying things with the art. So talking about how do you make these, these sculptures talk? How do you make them sing? And they kind of gave him this open opportunity to see what he could do. And that has turned into this, that, that essentially has shaped the entire commission. And we're talking months here. We're not talking a couple of days here and there. He has spent months in Omaha um, having breakfast with June and Rhea every morning. Um, he's a marathon runner, so he's been running around town, um, getting to know Omaha deeply. And he's been to several concerts. He always comes when he's in town and there's a concert. He goes to the concert hall, listens to the orchestra. So he's really cra- and, and listen and in our concert hall, the beautiful Holland Center. And so he's really crafting this piece for us. It's not just something he's doing in a vacuum where he lives normally um, or maybe occasionally in Oregon. Um, he's actually doing it in Omaha and thinking of us, our musicians, our concert hall, our community in mind as he's writing this beautiful piece. There's an old quote that I think has disputed attribution that's uh, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. Uh, And I wonder (laughs) if maybe that would encapsulate some of the challenges of trying to create music that evokes sculpture. Uh, So how does how is there that match or how has a harmony been found between the art of Jim Kaneko and this new piece? I I think this is why Andy is such a great fit for it. I mean, he is used to working with different mediums um, and different ways to encapsulate spirit and art and just almost anything with music. Um, He's a percussionist by trade, uh, uh, in addition to composing, uh, a steel pan uh, drummer as well. And so, and he's, you know, he's, he's pretty impressive. He's, he's been nominated for the Grammys more than once. He's been a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize in music. Um, and he really just does really groundbreaking works. And so the pair of that, um, that ingenuity and that inventiveness uh, with the art uh, has been really special. Um, and again, months and hours and hours and hours with these arts, uh, these pieces of art, excuse me, and really getting to know those pieces of art. You're going to be, anyone who comes to the concert is going to be just blown away how he's able to make music um, with the orchestra that that really epitomizes the art that we're going to be that that is that June and we are responsible for, but also playing the art as Danny said in a way that honestly I don't want to spoil it. Maybe we should, Danny, but it's just so impressive how he just creates tones and ambiance and the right exact sound world that June's visual art occupies. I think there's a lot to be said about the process too, both for Andy and for June. Um, this this idea, the longer Andy has, um, the more time Andy has spent in Omaha, the more he's learned about how June actually creates. And there's a lot to be said for translating how a visual artist approaches their next piece with how a composer is going to approach their next piece of music. Um, so you're going to, the audience is going to hear a lot of that in there as well. It won't just be evoking um, the pieces themselves, but also the approach that June and, and Reed Kaneko have taken throughout their careers. So for the two of you then, what has the process been like to take this piece and figure out how to present it with the symphony? Well, the role of a musician and a conductor is, is, and at this point in the process, if we're going to fast forward to the weeks coming up to upcoming, the weeks preceding the, the concert uh, experience, this world premiere, 
um, we are much like a film director who has not written the script. So Andy is writing the script. And as much as if we had a hand and June Kaneko and Rhee have had a hand in crafting and and cultivating the sound world that Andy as is going to write down on on paper, possibly on a computer, and then we print out. Um, now it's in his hands. So he does all the things behind the scenes and he's doing it sometimes, like I said, in Omaha, sometimes at home, but he's crafting this piece as, as he should be um, as the composer uh, singularly alone. And then we get the music and we're getting the music, um, you know, and we just, as a, as a, like I said, we're more like a film director who has not written the script. I, I get the script. Danny gets the script as a musician and we, practice it we learn it as as a conductor i'm learning the score i'm thinking about the context i'm thinking about the wishes of the composer and then i'm making some edits or, or thoughts or kind of imagining it as a film director would about you know the length of the, the the breadth of the piece like the goals of the piece how are we gonna in this case there might be some lighting things like a director would pick a lighting designer um there's certain actors you want to use there's certain singers that danny has spent time using for our um for the for the opera excerpts that we're going to do at this concert so like we're we're cultivating and curating the experience in so many details but ultimately the crafting of the piece is andy's and then we get the joy to bring it to life in what in the best way we can and what will happen when andy uh when we get to the week of the performances andy will be here he'll be in the audience in the hall with us for every rehearsal um and so it does become a dialogue where he will hear his piece come to life through the rehearsals. And then if there are things that need to be tweaked or potentially things that need to be adjusted or there are thoughts about interpretation, that's where that conversation will happen. Um, and there are also a lot, of, a lot of composers who over the years return to pieces that they've, they've written prior and revisit it, but this will be everyone's first opportunity to hear, to hear how it actually all comes together. I'm talking with Maestro Ankush Kumar Bahel, director of the Omaha Symphony and VP of Artistic Administration and Section Bassist Danny Meyer. The Omaha Symphony has a world premiere from Grammy-nominated composer Andy Akiho on March 17th and 18th, honoring June Kaneko. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Here is a clip from Akiho's piece, Pillar 7. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events, and we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. 
to make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which may be a zero. In which case, ouch, but okay. If you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more, more importantly, thank you for listening. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can find the backlog of all of our episodes wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a review. Today I'm talking with Maestro Ankush Kumar Bahel, director of the Omaha Symphony and VP of Artistic Administration and Section Bassist Danny Meyer about the power of live music and the upcoming world premiere from Andy Akiho on March 17th and 18th, honoring June Kaneko. The symphony will also perform pieces from Beethoven's Fidelio, Puccini's Madame Butterfly, and Mozart's The Magic Flute. Here is a clip from The Magic Flute. And here's the rest of my conversation with Maestro Ankush Kumar Bahel and VP of Artistic Administration and Section Bassist Danny Meyer. So you've got the new piece combined with Beethoven, Mozart, and Puccini. Now, I imagine the yes. process is different when you have a living composer who is involved versus someone who has not been alive for a while and who there are a lot of interpretations <laughs> of. So how is that process different for you? Exactly as you said. I mean, and as Danny just mentioned, like if there's a question in the score as I'm studying it, I can send Andy a text message <laughs> and say, did you want an accent here or not? Or is this the right dynamic you're looking for? Is this the dynamic you want the instrument to be played? Or is this the dynamic you want the audience to hear? Like, how do you want this blend? What kind of mounts do you want to use on this percussion instrument? Um, you know, there's things that we can ask him. Unfortunately, or fortunately, Beethoven's dead. And I cannot send him a text message or give him a call um, <laughs> to ask these questions. So it is a very different process. You know, I've heard Andy's works, of course, when we chose him, I, I was very privy to many, many of his works, and I'd seen some of his scores. But as an interpreter, I've spent decades, and Danny also, uh, spending time interpreting um, certain composers and certain, maybe in Danny's cases, excerpts, but also concerti by certain composers um, on her instrument. And I've spent time you know, cultivating a, uh, an understanding and an opinion um, of Beethoven's language. And so I feel like while I can't send him a text message, I can refer to hundreds and hours and pages of music that Beethoven's already written, and I can find consistencies and inconsistencies that really inform how I'm going to ask the orchestra to play certain parts of the Beethoven Overture and um, the Beethoven uh, Prisoner's Chorus that we're going to do, for example, anytime we do a Beethoven Symphony. But that, that, that takes decades of, of time and understanding and, and thought. We we have all been in, in a rehearsal where the conductor has uh, paused, said, "Let me just let me just talk to Beethoven about that," and <laughs> mocked mocked a phone call. 
<laughs> sure. I've made uh, that joke maybe here and there. Yeah, you've definitely made that joke. I've, <laughs> I think every composer or every conductor, it's a, they have to check that off their list at some point in their career. But um, so, so Maestro's totally right. It's, it's, it's decades of study goes into uh, interpreted interpretation issues. This particular concert, there's an added wrinkle, which Hmm. all of us are also contending with. We are in some cases using, um, the costumes that June Kaneko created. We are in some cases using the visuals that he created um, or using um, the, and by visuals, it's not just lighting. It's like, this is, this is moving graphic design. This is extraordinary visual elements that created some of the set, especially with Magic Flute and Fidelio. Um, And so there is actually an element of, because we're honoring the original productions that June Kaneko designed all the production elements for, we're also trying to make sure we honor the interpretations that went with those. So mm-hmm. there's there's an added layer that we wouldn't ordinarily have in a concert that's going to make this a little bit more interesting. It's going to make it, like uh, Danny said, it's an added wrinkle. But it's, again, this is, in this case in particular, Danny's referring to um, some of the visual elements that are timed. Um, uh, this, this is a concert honoring June's work. And so I'm very happy to have him be, and he was essentially the director of these set designs. So if he feels the tempo of a certain thing should be a certain speed in order to make the visualization, his art work, this is a joyous thing for me to be able to help realize his vision and his tempi, um, of, of the arts of the, the more classical pieces or the standard pieces that we're going to be doing, the operatic pieces we're going to be doing on this concert. Do you know, did uh, Andy Akiho have any kind of trepidation or pressure where you're essentially saying you're going to be opening for Beethoven, Mozart, and Puccini? <laughs> uh, we, over the years, the more the more composers you talk to, I think, obviously we can't speak for all of them, but the, the general consensus is it is so gratifying to see your name next to those names. And it's gratifying when you say the name out loud, there's always going to be the the concert like Mozart, Beethoven and more. And there's only one other person. That's the and more. So we'll just say the, the living composer's name. Yeah. And in this case, what a delight it is for us to be able to say that this concert is Kaneko and Akiho, but even better, um, we think that music belongs, those pieces belong together. Uh, we, we think that they, their, their place is next to each other on a program. So I don't know if Andy is feeling necessarily more pressure or any trepidation being on a program with Beethoven and Mozart, but rather we're trying to tell him your name belongs with Beethoven and Mozart on a program. Absolutely. I think Andy's uh, achieved a level of um, accomplishment that, that he he's well deserving to be on a on a program as a lead artist on a on a concert set of concerts like this. That um so I I don't think he's scared of any of that. I think he's probably just you know he he's giving birth to a piece. So I think anytime a composer is is writing a piece in that vacuum I speak of, possibly alone, without a lot of feedback, um you're you're going to be anxious on how your kid does at their first recital. It's just a normal natural thing as a parent. Um, or a loved one. And so I think that's where, if there's anything to be accounting for some kind of nervousness or anxiety, anxiety is a strong word, but just anxiousness. I, I'm guessing that's where it's come from, though I haven't specifically spoken to Andy about this, but 
as this, as Danny said, is speaking to many composers over the years. I think that's more than being side by side to a Beethoven and a Mozart. I think, gosh, well, people like it. <laughs> I do think a lot of people who are maybe familiar with the symphony, but not necessarily regular attendees, get the sense that it's always very old compositions, that it's always the classics. Um, and so you've got a mixture of old and new, and that's uh, filtered through the connection with Kaneko and his life and his work. But I mean, what is it about the classic pieces of music that still resonate? Why, why is it that Mozart and Beethoven continue to have the power and the presence that they do today? I think before we answer that question, Danny's got a bone to pick with you, and maybe <laughs> you want to mention the fact that that's not necessarily the case at the Omaha Symphony. Uh, oh boy. No, uh, so, so, um, yes, in this concert, we are definitely mixing, you could call it old and new. I would argue we've been doing that with every concert and I, um, uh, Maestro and I, that's what we love to do. Um, by design. Yeah. So it's by a, design. A feature, not a bug. <laughs> and, and okay. So yes, do Mozart and Beethoven still hit now? Absolutely. They do. I would argue certain pieces by Mozart and Beethoven absolutely hit in 2023. But you know what else hits in 2023? Jennifer Higdon, Andy Akiho, Jesse Montgomery, uh, Caroline Shaw, uh, Liana Primiani, uh, gosh, Kevin Carlos Pope. Simon, Kevin Pope. Carlos Simon. These these are Catholic, uh, I almost said Catholic, classical music <laughs> is a living, breathing art form. Um, I It is so exciting to see what current living composers, living musicians, doesn't matter what their age, it doesn't matter their backgrounds, what they're creating right now is that hits sometimes even more than the Mozarts and the Beethovens um, because it is, it's it's the now, it's it's music of right now. You know, we we had in October, we had a pianist, Oadash and Pratt playing a brand new piano concerto by Jesse Montgomery. Um, gosh, in May, we have Carlos Simon's Fate Now Conquers paired with Mahler. We have next year, we have over um, 12, I think, living composers over the course of the season. It's so mm. exciting to see people who were inspired probably by Mozart and Beethoven, who probably grew up listening to their their epitome of the classical music icon, right? Whether that's Mahler or Brahms or Mozart or Beethoven or Tchaikovsky and turning it into, this is how I, how I filter that, how I see it. And in 2023, this is what classical music is. Maestro. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're, you're going to, we all want art to be a living part of our culture. It's like you would never go to a museum um, and fully enjoy the experience of everything they had at that museum was one era um, and necessarily unless you're really an aficionado of that era, in which case it's that's the museum's catering to you. But the Omaha Symphony, we don't we don't want that. We we're, like I said, it's by design that we're incorporating living artists. We're bringing them on stage. I'm, I'm pulling up two bar stools and sitting with them and chatting with them about the piece that they just the audience just heard or are about to hear. And like not just a 30 second, you know, one talking point, one bullet point, but like an in-depth conversation about the origin and um, how the piece came to fruition and what they could be listening for. And I think that's an important part of curating any experience of art. If you go to the Jocelyn or the Bemis or the Kaneko and you went to that museum and every painting or every piece of art had their little nameplate removed. So you didn't know the name of the piece. You didn't know when it was crafted. You didn't know the nation from where the artist lived, the time from where they lived, 
the title of their art like all these things inform what you're how you consume any any art whether it's visual ballet um classical music any kind of music and if you don't have those those touch points uh, it's going to be a less um gratifying experience for you and so at the Omaha symphony while we're bringing in pieces you may not have heard before we're fully fully giving you context about what you're hearing and why this piece is important um and and like i said that's that's a feature and i think that you'd be surprised i'm I am honestly surprised at how many times I'll see a, a member of the community at another concert, and maybe at the musical uh, at the Orpheum, will be at intermission. Someone will come up to me and say, "That piece by Michael Doherty was really mind blowing." When they walked in that concert hall, they didn't know who Michael Doherty was, a living American composer. But then at the intermission of Mean Girls, they're telling me that they loved that. <laughs> that was the most important thing that they heard on the concert. So. I I it had a very similar experience mm -hmm. last week. I walked into Lola's in Dundee and this lovely woman at the counter, as I walked up to get coffee, you know, cream for my coffee, she turned to me and she goes, Oh, I was just looking through your season. I just heard that Mark Adamo cello concerto with the Jocelyn and it blew my mind. What else do you have that I could listen to? And Amazing. the Adamo was a fairly brand new piece of music and it was paired with other, um, it was paired with Schubert and and Bloch and Vivaldi and all of those composers are wonderful, but that the Adamo was what hit. So everything we have on a program, we just want it to hit, but we we want to make sure that we are stewards of this phenomenal art form that we are so lucky to be a part of. But you know, to answer your question, <laughs> <laughs> I I think the reason why these classics are still relevant is because we're really we're really talking about the masters here um you know everyone who composed a symphony after beethoven had beethoven in their mind and in their shadow because his craft his craftsmanship and his ingenuity and his uh, the the way he evolved the art form was so impactful and so unique even at the time that it still resonates. The emotional part of the music, the technical part of the music, the sonic part of the music, the comical part of the music, whatever he's, he or she, and mostly he back then, sadly, uh, was trying to accomplish in the music was so inventive and so important and so uh, overwhelmingly brilliant that of course an audience today is going to feel those similar emotions because humans haven't changed all that much in the past couple hundred years. And we're going to still want to dance to music. We're going to still want to be blown away by music. We're going to still hear that full orchestra in a beautiful concert hall with a fantastic acoustic, 90 musicians playing their Jesus off and just loving, um, loving, 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 playing this music for their, our audiences um, even if it's the 10th time they played a Beethoven symphony, we're giving it our all and the audience can feel that. Um, and we, as musicians on the stage, as Danny alluded to earlier, also feel that in real time and we're experiencing it with you. And so, yeah, the reason why these people are still relevant is because we have, these are the geniuses of their times. You know, there's a hundreds of rock bands that came out, um, Let's say pick a band. The Beatles came out. There were probably another 50 to 100 to 500 bands playing similar music. But the way 
the Beatles evolved that genre and took it to the nth level and just the genius musical musical part of what the content of what they they composed was so amazing that it still is relevant today so you can pick any era you're going to get the re- there's a reason why I play the Beatles now we and we may not be playing Oasis in 50 years because Oasis was a little derivative of the Beatles and that's fine it was it it was fun when we had it I apologize to all the Oasis fans out there <laughs> speak um, for yourself right? but you know there's a reason why these certain iconic voices iconic composers and I'll, I will call these pop artists composers on purpose because they're writing music that is relevant at the time and the ones that really evolved the art form that pushed the boundaries i had an argument at aspen when i was a music student with a bunch of donors that the chronic 2000 was an, one of the most important albums uh that will last forever and in decades and decades and decades in musical historical fashion because it's such an important and evolve it's such an evolved piece of art now i i upset those people 20 years later, they made a movie about it because that's, I was right. <laughs> it completely transformed rap and R&B, period, full stop. And that's what Beethoven did from, for classical concerts. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Maestro Ankush Kumar Bahel, director of the Omaha Symphony and VP of Artistic Administration and Section Bassist Danny Meyer about the upcoming world premiere from Grammy-nominated composer Andy Akiho on March 17th and 18th, honoring Omaha's world-renowned visual artist, June Kaneko. Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Well, another element here is the magical sort of community experience that you get from being in a a live event, a live performance. And I I think this is something that people have a somewhat different perspective on uh, following some of the lockdowns in the the COVID years, the COVID lockdowns from the past few years. So what is it that makes the creation of art in the room? not necessarily the creation of the notes, but the creation of all of those sounds by all these people with a bunch of instruments in front of a crowd of people also experiencing it at the same time. Why is that magical in a way that sometimes listening to a recording just can't compete with? Let Danny take this one. Oh, man. Uh, you just have no idea what's going to happen. You are prepared for... You are prepared, you have all, all things put in place, and yet you are surrounded by, you know, like we said, 40 to, to 100 human beings who all have had their individual days. You have up to 2,000 people in that hall who all have had their individual days. You, you don't know where they're coming from, what they were dealing with when they entered the hall. You don't know necessarily what your colleagues were dealing with when they entered the hall. Maybe tonight Sibelius is going to hit extra hard maybe tonight that prokofiev is gonna is going to feel just a little sharper it's it's the best part about the live concert experience is that it's a human concert experience and it will never be that way ever again the way you get to hear it in that moment it will never happen exactly that way again um and there is a phenomenon where you can be on stage and you can be playing and you look around and your colleagues and like there's something special and you can't quite say exactly what it is, but there's a charged energy. Um, and you just keep hoping that every night you return to the hall, you're going to get that again. Um, and I know the audience feels it when that happens too. It's just, it's the human, it's the human element, the human imperfection and also the human 
ability to take something in in the emotional state that you are currently dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. You'll be, you know, there, there were people crying in our concert um, for the John Williams concert um, when our associate concert master played Schindler's List because it's such an impactful moment, uh, a piece of music written by such a great American composer living. Um, and it's just such a, it, it, whatever they were thinking about in the moment and whatever our Cho was thinking about, our violinist was in the moment, was a shared experience and it affected them deeply and profoundly and uh, unexpectedly, I imagine. Um, so I, I think that's a lot of what Danny's talking to. There's there's a little bit of a magic that happens when everyone's on the same page and, and kind of working hard together to get a, a, a really interesting or beautiful or sonically powerful moment on stage and 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 audience hears that um when we do that on stage and we know it and we all feel it and d d like danny said like there have been concerts when i've been a player and a conductor where you, you you stop the piece of music and you look around and we're like yes that was it that was that was it and then the audience just goes bonkers because they felt it too and another thing i was thinking about as you're talking danny is that not only is it a shared experience for musicians on stage, and more importantly, it's a shared experience for the audience. Uh, I was watching a, a, a late night talk show and an actor named Christoph Waltz, who was in Glorious Bastards from Quentin Tarantino, was just, they were talking about the movie going experience and um, how the fact you can watch your, you can watch a full length feature film on your, you know, five inch, six inch iPhone or mobile device in Danny's case. Um, and you can, and the, the the host was asking, like, how does that feel? How do you feel as like a, an actor when you, do you like do you still go to movies when you can like probably have a wonderful home studio, um, a home theater in your house? And how does that, what do you think about seeing, seeing these movies at home and whatnot? And of course, he said, not only is that you're getting the proper sound and the visual that the director intended and the actors intended, but you're sharing that experience with audience members. Like there's other human beings who are laughing or crying or reacting with you in the audience. And that is a completely different layer um, uh, of the art that you're experiencing. So similar to that, I, I would absolutely apply it to the concert hall. When you have a thousand, 2000 people, 5,000 people in a larger venue experiencing music in the same way, it's a completely transforming experience. And and um, it's, it's totally elevating not only your life for two hours, but also the art form itself by 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 hearing it live um, and consuming it with other patrons who also love love what they're hearing. Now I understand that your event on March 18th, uh, after the premiere of the new piece from Andy Akio, as well as uh, just the celebration of June Kaneko, there's also an exciting after party. Uh, what can people expect there? Oh yeah, they can expect the unexpected, um, and which I know is a fantastically big answer. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be performances. There's going to be DJing. We have local legend DJ Crab Gucci, who is going to spin the sick beats, I believe the kids say, uh, for the <laughs> evening. Uh, Andy is going to perform. We are going to just, in general, have a blast Absolutely. I mean, Andy's going to, the composer's going to be there in the room. The musicians will be there. Um, there'll be an open bar, snacks. Um, and it's, uh, there's a way to, you can find out. It's all on our website. Um, if there's a special ticket for that or possibly buying your tickets, your concert tickets along with the after party in a package deal, um, that's just going to be a really fun night um, that you're just going to, it's, 
that's again a shared experience as they're going to hear this concert together it's not going to be a two hour two and a half hour concert it's going to be 90 minutes probably um so it's, and then you just get to get to spend the night talking to your friends about it meeting the musicians meeting the composer i'll be there and just enjoying that shared experience but just you know it's that it's literally an after party it's like we all are experiencing this amazing uh concert visual costumes music soloists uh in a room together and then we get to talk about it afterwards you know with the performers it's it's a pretty unique experience well, I've appreciated getting to talk to both of you about this, about your process, how it came to be, and what people can expect. That sounds very exciting. Thank you so much for talking to me today. It's our Thank pleasure. Thank you for thanks having for, us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos, And our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock. Here's a clip from Fidelio. Fidelio.